In this episode of Hoosology, we welcome back Andrew Greif of the Los Angeles Times to discuss the Los Angeles Clippers' slow start, Kawhi Leonard's returning from injury, and how Clippers' vision will impact the NBA streaming plans and a lot more. You'll really enjoy this interview, so please email your questions to hoopsologypod at gmail.com. Follow us on all social media platforms. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. We are a proud member of Underdog Podcast. And now, Andrew Greif. He covers the NBA for and the Los Angeles Clippers for the Los Angeles Times. We welcome back Andrew Greif onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Andrew? It's going really well. Thanks for having me back. And thanks for coming back onto the show. Always like speaking with you um, just for your knowledge and expertise. And also, you cover one of the most, you know, talked about teams in the NBA um, every year within the most recent years, and that's the Los Angeles Clippers. So just with a basic question question right off the jump, um, as the recording of this podcast, the Clippers are fifth within the Western Conference. A lot of experts had the Clippers going to the NBA Finals. Just with expectations, my guess is that this, due to the start currently, has been a bit of a disappointment. Uh, what have you gathered just from the team in terms of their expectations so far? Um, are they super disappointed the way the season has gone, or do you think? I know that team's been hit with a ton of injuries. Um, is that just kind of par for the course so far, and that they'll kind of get back on track um, right before the All Star break starts? They're most disappointed, certainly, in that they haven't really seen the, their full potential because they really haven't had the availability to do that, to gauge that. That is certainly what they're disappointed in. Um, there was a lot of hope coming out of training camp where everybody was on track to be healthy, that this would be you know, a real quick you know, first 10 games. You could really get a sense for what this team's full potential could be. Um, and it just hasn't happened that way. You know, Kawhi Leonard, two games into the year, was already dealing with, uh, you know, a, kind of a, a glitch in his in his knee, kind of a, some tight some tightness, some soreness that was not anticipated. And then before you know it, Paul George um, has some kind of soreness in a hamstring tendon. Uh, he's knocked out. Then you know Kawhi Leonard has missed a couple more games with an ankle sprain that he initially said would be okay. So one thing sort of piles on top of another. We can't forget about Luke Kennard also, who's been missing for. Um, for about four games with a calf strain, and he's only the NBA's reigning most you know accurate three point shooter, and he's done a lot of nice things in the starting lineup this year too with them. So uh, there is, I don't think there's a lot of disappointment in sort of how the team has responded most nights. Yes, there have been a couple games when you can just tell in Tyloo's attitude and his face that he really wishes that um you know they'd come out more physical uh more energetic he's lamented a lot of their slow second quarters for example and their lack of rebounding um but i think that for what they've been dealing with um tyloo is pretty i don't know if content is the right word but i think he understands why they are not um better than 12 and 9 so do you think at this point of the season, you know, that the, the big hype coming into it was, you know, Kawhi Leonard returning and um, he's kind of been hit with somewhat of the injury bug. Just he kind of give your assessment of how Kawhi has acclimated, you know, returning to the Clippers and just the expectations of him wants to begin becoming the leader. Do you think that, you know, heading into just the latter stretches of the season, um, he'll be more active in terms of the, the games he plays and kind of leading the Clippers to kind of more of the top of the Western Conference? Yeah, it's been a strange start for him because, first of all, we saw him come off the bench the first two games. And immediately after those first uh, two appearances for him, Ty Lue hated it. 
he hated it. Um, as he told me once, uh, Andrew, this messes with my rotations, but he didn't quite say messes. Um, he said something else. Uh, so he really did not like that <laughs> you're having um, in that in that situation, Kawhi Leonard, you know, close the first half with essentially the starting unit, but and then open the third quarter um, with the starting unit. But then that bumps the guy who started the first half with the starters, like the starting shooting guard, in this case, Norman Powell, he doesn't start the, the, the second half. So there was a lot of rhythm things that were just off. Um, and so that was killed immediately, that idea. Then he comes back and then is hurt after two games. What what people did see from him, uh, just gameplay-wise, when he was playing, was that, yes, at times, uh, you know, you could see the fatigue set in after not playing in 15 months. Um, you could see at times, like, I don't know if rust is the right word, although Kawhi had used that word. But, uh, you know, just I think on the shooting side of things, um, you know, there were times where he couldn't get quite to his spot. And that was something that he could do nearly automatically when he was fully healthy. Um, and the explosion wasn't all the way back. Uh, at least in glimpses. But when he did come back and he was in the starting unit, Reggie Jackson, the point guard, had mentioned that what we're seeing is all the small things in the way he affects the game without shooting because he was only taking, uh, you know, fewer than 10 shots a game in those two games since his, uh, when he came back with from his initial knee soreness. He was not shooting a whole lot, but he was affecting the game in a lot of ways. He was a plus-minus god, uh, was about plus 25 one game. Uh, was really kind of moving the ball. And that's, it sounds simple, but for this team, one of the worst passing teams in the NBA, that's a big deal to have ball reversals and the ball going left to right. So I think that he was filling some gaps that he saw needed. Uh, but again, we just haven't seen that since. And for as much as the Clippers feel like their defense has really been what's carried them and their offense is slowly coming along, um, they're, they're going to basically have to start off from square one once he gets back fully and you see the rotations back because uh, we just really have not had much time with the starting and bench units together. Andrew, forgive my ignorance, but could you clarify for me and the listeners, these Kawhi knee issues, is, is this stemming from that quadriceps tendon issue that he had all those years ago, um, like later days in San Antonio, or are these further knee issues that have, have come up uh, since that time? That's something that um, I don't have a grasp on because, you know, Kawhi, I mean, as much as many players in the NBA are, are you know, want to keep their health information private, Kawhi is obviously maybe the, sure. the, far, the farthest end of that, the most extreme end of that. So, uh, I don't know if it's from the partial tear of the ACL that ended his 2021 season or something that stems back further, but um, it is something that when he did experience soreness um, in his knee and stiffness, I should say, it was called stiffness in his right knee in late October, uh, one former NBA team doctor who um, had been with the Dallas Mavericks, his name is T.O. Soriol, has been, been was with the Mavericks for more than 20 years. He's done hundreds of ACLs, if not thousands. And he said that it is a little unusual to have stiffness, which he called swelling, that long after surgery. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was something that stood out to him. Now, we don't know the full diagnosis. We don't know a lot about Kawhi's knee. So we're sort of operating a little bit of an information vacuum. But it was, to someone who does this for a living, um, he, he made it sound like, you know, swelling in the knee that late probably should is not would be unexpected. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there there are 
anomalies in in surgeries uh certainly i mean not not every surgery goes exactly the same um on paper as as we expect it to go but it's just so fascinating with Kawhi, um and it's something that i really feel for him as a player obviously wanting to get on the court and do his thing i also of course feel for the fans of um of the clippers organization um for having to be patient um going back to ty Lu and and the job he's done um do you feel he gets enough praise i i have heard a lot of praise for ty Lu. But do you feel he gets enough praise for the job he's done in maintaining stability in all the chaos that's been going on with just the injury bug essentially spreading around the team? He does get a lot of uh, of praise within the organization, even outside of it, for kind of keeping the ship afloat. I mean, last year was, as he said, maybe one of his toughest coaching jobs ever. And that's including, obviously, his, his year he takes over in midseason and they win the NBA title against all odds. Uh, mm-hmm. Because there is really no blueprint for him for how to coach a team that is constantly losing players. And so I think that is informing how he's doing this year. Right now, it's it's limited to three players who are out, Kennard, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard. Um, but last year, he was dealing sometimes with seven, eight because of health and safety protocols or other injuries. Um, so I, I think he he felt like he became a better coach last year. Uh, just from juggling rotations, plugging one guy in, you know, kind of a plug-and-play system. Um, I think that's really tricky with Kawhi because, as Kawhi has even said, uh, he feels like this is a two-year process to come back from his knee injury. He he is uh, when he came back the second time from um, from his knee stiffness. I sort of said, "Do you feel like you're past that stiffness, or is this something you're just going to have to manage throughout the year?" And he said, "There's going to be ups and downs. I understand that. Like this type of injury is a two-year process, and people want to make it seem like you're just back." ready to go after one, it's going to be longer than that. So that factors into Ty Lue's coaching too. You know, how often do you know you're going to have your full complement of players um, night to night? I'm not sure he, you know, how often he really knows that. So I, Ty gets the most credit for being a strategist and being an X's nose guy. The GM survey annually, uh, the last two years, I believe he's been called the best in-game adjustment coach by, by other GMs in the NBA. He obviously takes a lot of pride in that part of it. You know, what am I drawing out of an ATO, um, a sideline out of bounds? But I, I, there's a kind of a logistics part of this the last two years that's been unlike um, a, kind of a hurdle he's encountered that he really didn't in Cleveland just because there are so many bodies missing at so many different times. Andrew, I want to ask you to just through that process, right? Like fans are impatient. They, they want things now. So ultimately through, you know, the end of that two years, if the Clippers are not, you know, exceeding defense expectations, are you going to see fans just be impatient and just call for some major changes? Or do you think they're going to be empathetic just regarding just this entire process? It's a great question because um, at various times, you know, the whether it's the front office that assembled the, the Kawhi PG trade and free agency signing, and then has engineered sort of the complementary pieces around it. They've gotten a lot of praise. I mean, Lawrence Frank was the executive of the year two years ago. Um, the president, he's the president of basketball operations with Clippers, a former longtime head coach and assistant coach. Um, you know, Ty Lue has been taught, someone talked about last year as a coach of the year candidate. So I think there's been a lot of goodwill toward pretty much everyone who has assembled this. For that reason, I think that there would be some understanding 
that um, we're dealing with sort of an unusual injury pattern here. Uh, I, I do think that that would probably forestall any major changes. Uh, I think that Steve Ballmer, team's owner, has a lot of confidence in sort of the decision makers within the organization. They have enormous uh, number of employees. You know, like Steve Ballmer has given them really carte blanche to build out a sophisticated organization where, you know, the, the health and performance team probably has more, they almost have more members than there are players on the team. You know, like it's a sprawling organization. And I, I always have gotten the sense that Ballmer really gives everyone involved kind of the confidence, the seal of approval for managing that and running that. So uh, I, I, I don't, you know, major changes would be something that would be, um, which in that case, that definition would be, you know, a new front office. That would be a surprise just because I do sense a lot of confidence um, in kind of the way they've gone about building this team. And then it's then the chips were fall where they do, you know, like two, two years ago, you know, if, if not for a take foul, you know, Kawhi Leonard, it might be leading them in the NBA finals um, in, in Milwaukee. So there's a lot of a chance here. And I think that, especially Clippers fans know that there's always something lurking around the corner that's going against their favor. It seems like just the, the, the history of this franchise and the way that the postseason has never turned out the way they want to. Yeah. Great points. And, and, you know, to your point, I mean, we haven't had a lot of time really to see Kawhi Leonard and Paul George just play this out together. I mean, uh, unfortunately. So um, looking at that 12 and nine start as of, the recording of this podcast, you could also spin this pretty positive in, in not having your number one player um, that they are sitting fifth in the West right now. Um, who have you noticed standing out in these first, you know, 21 games, first quarter or so of this season, who, who has kind of surprised you or stepped up to fill the void that's been left there? I think that almost to a man, everyone on the team has gone through some sort of roller coaster ride to start this year where the play has been up and down, the efficiency up, you know, the, the effectiveness. One of the players who really has been steady throughout is Avita Zubats. Mm. And at the time of a recording, you know, he's coming off a 31 point, 29 rebound, yeah. three block game. The, the last person to do that was Kareem. Um, you know, so <laughs> that was sort of the exclamation point on what has been a season that even a week ago when I was asking his teammates, you know, what are you seeing from zoo that's allowed this to happen? And they all sort of said, well, think about it. He played in Eurobasket and was playing in late August and early September. So by the time training camp officially opened, he was in fighting shape right then and there. And Nicholas Batum, who's played internationally with France for years, said that that was always the secret to his success coming into each year feeling ready to go right from the start because he'd invariably be coming off of a international trip uh, with, with France. He, he saw the exact same thing happening with Zubats. It's also just a lot of confidence. You know, now he's playing 30 minutes a night, you know, under Doc Rivers, he was uh, rarely playing fourth quarter minutes. Those were always kind of given out to Montrez Harrell. Uh, that's who Doc clearly trusted in those settings. Uh, with Ty Lue, it's been zoo in the fourth quarter, especially the last two, two years. Um, that's been a time when, unless they're going small, it's really Zubats' time. There's not like another backup center who's taking that role. Um, I thought Luke Kennard also had been really sharp. I thought it was not only the, the three-point shooting, which we talked about earlier, but he'd been a guy who um, I think has been really earning a lot of praise and trust from teammates for taking the challenge defensively 
on other teams' best players. Uh, I think that he's also become a little bit better of a playmaker. There, there were a lot of high hopes for him when he left Detroit to be a playmaker, but we saw that a lot too when they have small, small pick and rolls. You know, he gets a short roll and fire to somebody else. Uh, he was also just much more aggressive, I felt, this year. And, and I sort of asked him about it, like driving to the basket. It just seemed like he was doing that more often. He was like, I, you know, I don't, it's funny you say that because I don't feel like that was a point of emphasis. Um, that's what he would say about himself. But it seemed to be the case where he just was getting his nose in that lane a lot more often. And it usually led to good things. Um, and then, and then really one of the last guys I like to highlight is probably the, the last 10 games has um, been Terrence Mann. Um, he was a guy who, because he started the year, and he really didn't know what role he was playing. It was confusing. He said as much that he was confused about where he needed to make the most impact. Um, you know, because now he's essentially can play five positions. They're asking him to play everything from a really, really small center mm. to ball handler. And so, you know, you're just sort of where, where, where do I fit here? Uh, when you can fit everywhere, you sort of fit nowhere. And he's been that valuable of a guy. Um, but he's really settled in. I think that ever since Robert Covington unfortunately had COVID and was knocked out that gave man more minutes. And he really had a resurgence to the point now that Robert Covington really is out of the rotation most nights uh, when they're at full strength. So I, I think we're getting back to seeing Terrence Mann being that sort of like when he's at his best, it's like a whirling dervish. Something good is going to happen. He's just always moving. There's a lot of energy and that's kind of the best version of Terrence Mann. And we're, we're seeing that again. Yeah, it's fascinating because you could you could see the situation with the injury bug and these guys stepping up. I mean, this this could build a lot of camaraderie and chemistry. And at the same time, of course, the question mark is fitting your star players back into this this current rhythm uh, that they have. One more question, and and then Justin, I'll turn it over to you for your question. Um, how has the fit been with John Wall? so far this year and his presence in that locker room and on the court, how is he doing uh, blending in with this team and complementing uh, the rest of this roster? Yeah, it's been, it's been um, an adjustment for him, you know, to be first of all, playing off the bench, which is something yeah. he really never did before um, playing limited minutes and not playing back to backs, even though he said he's fully healthy. I know that has been frustrating for him, which he's talked about, um, good for him in full, you know, in full candor. He's talked about that several times about how he wants to be playing all the time. And I think a lot of that, it has to be rooted in the fact that he was out of the league for all intents and purposes last year when he and Houston yeah. had that mutual decision to that, you know, to have him basically train in Miami away from the, the young guns in Houston as that kind of rebuild was happening. So um, I think that he's incredibly grateful to be back and nobody wants to sort of, fit in better than he does i mean at summer league he talked about how he was looking forward to not having to be batman as he put it he didn't want to have to be batman mm. anymore he could be the complimentary piece and let Kawhi and pg take over um that really hasn't happened a whole lot just because they, those minutes haven't happened a whole lot so far um but I, I think that on court it seems to be most nights there's there's a boom or bust element when he's at his best he does something the Clippers do not have. You know, he is full speed. People wondered about his age, his giddy up, um, his injury history. Could he be that full speed guy to get, you know, 94 feet uh, in the snap of a finger? He is that guy again. Um, he had a 15 assist night when he had nine in his first six minutes. I mean, he was, when he's impressive, he is really impressive. I think the thing for him is that, you know, passing and not, not taking the first easy shot 
and making sure that the ball is moving. Uh, I think that sometimes teams are giving him the long mid-range shot and he wants to step into it and take it. The, the numbers would show you that he's just not a great three-point shooter or, or long mid-range shooter this year. Um, so I think shot selection is something that even Ty Lue uh, two weeks ago or so in San Antonio mentioned that, you know, that could be a little bit better. But where his head is at in terms of wanting to make the, you know, dis- to distribute the ball, I think that is, uh, I've been a plus. Everyone's pleasantly surprised with how physically he looks as good as they had hoped. Um, you know, I, I think that for him, does it always have to be the home run play? No. And, and that's maybe where the next step is for this team fitting in with the unit with Norman Powell, uh, maybe Terrence Mann, you know, moving that ball around one extra pass at times can be a real key. But I think that overall, if you were to ask the Clippers, you know, on July 3rd, you know, what are your hopes for John Wall the first quarter of the year? I think this version of him would be more than they even bargained for. Andrew, I want to follow up on something you mentioned earlier, and that was about Eurobasket, just with Zubac. He participated in that. Um, Luca has, Laurie Marketing. Is that a trend that you might see from other European players, just knowing how the, the fast starts they've gotten out to, and maybe even seeing some, I don't know, American players maybe follow suit within just, you know, different pro-am leagues, you know, in the summertime. I know we've seen one-offs, for instance, but just due to the success of these, you know, international players, um, do you think that might be a trend you might be seeing in the coming years in the league? Well, I think so. I also think there's a double-edged sword to it, which is, you know, obviously the minutes. Um, You know, Ty Lewis said that it it no doubt brought um, Ivisa Zubats into rhythm, but they also – have to be smart about minutes played. Now I'm sure Zubats would say, trust me, just play me all the minutes you want. Like I, it doesn't matter. He's only 25 years old, you know, like his motor can go, but they, they, I think there is a wear and tear element to it that probably scares some teams off. You know, do, does everyone, is it just a, a blank check, a rubber stamp, I should say, to go over there and play? No, I'm sure there's reservations a team had about injury possibilities. And um, I think those are well warranted. At the same time, you're seeing benefits from Zubots right now and marketing to your point, which is what it, what it looks like when a guy can really come with a lot of confidence. You know, one thing Nicholas Batum brought up because you mentioned the American side of things, he said, you know, these are games with, with real stakes and real pressure and it's not pickup That's and it's point. not, you know, it's not even high level pro-am uh, that we see across the, you know, the U S in the summertime, especially this last summer when it felt like, the the whether it's the Drew League or the crossover in Seattle, there were a lot of high-profile names playing summer ball in leagues we hadn't seen in several years. Um, those games are extremely competitive. I don't think that there's any reason to doubt that. But as Nicholas Batum said it's just a little different when you have your home country, you know, uniform on, and there's a, is a real cup at the end of it. Um, and so I think that's a nuanced part of the international competition, whether it's Olympics or the world cup or Eurobasket, that that's a part of it that I think is important. At least the Nicholas Batum felt was important that, you know, these are, these are games that matter. Andrew, I want to shift gears and ask you about Clipper vision. It really fascinated me when this was released. I know Steve Ballmer is really excited about this, just seeing some of the clips online. I think it's something that has potential to really, you know, transform the league just depending on how it works with all the regional networks and i'm um, working all those contracts out what has been just the feedback from the fans just of of the new platform so far i know we're fairly early into the season but from what you have gathered are, are fans excited about this are they 
interested in using this platform compared to NBA League Pass? I think that uh, the general feedback has been that uh, the the kind of financial side of it, where you don't have to be a uh, you know have a cable subscription, you can just purchase through that, has been a home run. I've early on, early on, there was sort of some technical difficulties I could tell fans were having, some frustrations about sort of just logging in, like just real small stuff, like not small stuff, but kind of version 1.0, things like that, that I think fans were were grappling with. I'm not sure how they feel now, sort of if those kinks have been worked out, but the, the idea that, you know, you just don't have to, you know, have league pass. If you don't want, you don't have to have a cable package. You can just buy Clippers games is probably the thing that will, if this succeeds, will be its biggest legacy. Um, I will be curious if other regional sports networks want to do something like this with the team. You know, I asked Steve Ballmer if he envisioned a future when teams would just take all of their rights and put it on their own, you know, like pay-per-view, like their own, you know, Nuggets vision or Blazer vision. Uh, well, there, there actually was a Blazer vision about 20 years ago, but you know, one of the, like a similar thing where you don't watch your team on your RSN, you watch it only through the team's direct app. And he said that he, he could potentially see that, but they didn't go that route because they wanted to make sure their exposure was fairly broad. And if without any, with, without fans really knowing anything about this, to do that all this year and year one of Clipper Vision, their audience probably would have shrunk quite a bit um, because people just don't know what Clipper Vision is. So uh, I, I think it would take a bold team to sort of say, okay, all of our rights now, unless you, unless we have a national TV game, you can just come directly to us. I think that day is coming. I don't know about how soon because um, I know that you just have to have some exposure about what, what this is, but the other thing is, you know, if you want to have this hybrid model where you have some games on your RSN, but also have this Clipper vision, those contracts are really hard to work out because obviously you're taking some stuff away from the RSN. Um, and so I know that that took up until the last, uh, there were about two weeks to go before the season began or wow. maybe three before it was wrapped up with the Clippers. And that was something that had been being negotiated for months and months. So that's that's a tricky thing. I don't know how many teams will want to go through that, and I don't know how many teams will want to directly take all of their games and just stuff them on their own app. But uh, it is sort of, I think, the model of sports viewership is you know you just buy what you want, and you don't have to buy the 180 other channels. Um, one last question for me: Do you know did Balmer discuss the potential revenue stream from this in terms of does the you know another source of you know money coming in for the team in terms of you know fans actually being excited because i know i live in denver and i know there's been a lot of frustration with just you know denver nuggets games and with comcast and everything going on here so is do you see a time where fans would be actually demanding this because i can just see you know i'm not a nuggets fan but if i was i can see this would be the perfect situation this forget the rsn i just want i'll just pay for my team i don't have to worry about anything else yeah i think douglas fans are like the most suffering longest suffering fans because they just can't watch their team 
yep. um, except in limited instances. So I, I do know that they wanted to, you know, they wanted a pretty good subscriber base. Balmer had certain goals. Um, they wouldn't say what that is, of course, but they do look at that. This isn't just an act of charity of look how we're helping you fan. They want to make, you know, have this become a profitable product for them for sure. Uh, I don't know what those numbers look like right now or what the goal was or how close they are to meeting them. But uh, this was, you know, this, this something like this has to be part of a long play for them. So I don't know that even year one, um, we're going to feel like we have a, a, a true gauge for how successful it was. I'll be curious in, in you know, how long the Clippers stick with this model, though. You know, yeah. do they, and because they signed a, an extension with their RSN, but, you know, there might be some outs within that potentially. Would they, if they felt happy enough with it, would they just, you know, get an out and take everything in the app? I guess we'll see. Andrew, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Please let our viewers and listeners know where they can find you on social media and then um, your work with the Los Angeles Times and anything else you're working on as well. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, please, on, on Twitter, as long as Twitter is still active, right. um, I'm uh, at Andrew Greif, G-R-E-I-F. And we're just at latimes.com and go to the sports page and click on the Clippers tab so you'll find all of our talk right now. Uh, I just wrote about Avita Zubas, the guy we were talking about, and how you know some of his teammates think, are you a most improved candidate? Are you a you know defensive player of the year candidate? They felt like he is. So that's sort of, we're going to be with him on most of the road trips pretty much all the road trips this year, you know, content for almost every day. So please follow along. And uh, I'm grateful for our readers, but also people who let me talk to the readers directly, you know, the, the listeners with you guys. So thank you very much. Awesome, Andrew. Thank you very much for joining us. Take care.